Will you pray with me as we get ready to hear God's word? Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence. That's wherever your people dwell, wherever your church is. And God, we hear so many voices these days. We hear so many opinions. But what we really long for, what we really need, is to hear from you. And if you would be so kind as just to give us a word today. Give each person here a phrase or a little patch of light so that we might know where to put our foot down next so that we can stay on your way. God, we want to have open ears, eager to hear you. We want to have open eyes that can see the way of Jesus. Hear our prayers and our supplications in his name. Amen. Hey friends, uh, this summer at Elmhurst CRC, we have been working our way through the book of Acts. We are in chapter 9 this morning, and in chapters 1 through 8 in the book of Acts, for sure the Holy Spirit has been the main actor, but there have been uh, some different patches of spotlight where amazing characters, first Jesus himself, who ascended to heaven and gave marching orders for the planting and the founding of his church spoke, and then the spotlight went on this character, Peter, who just under the course of a month went under and a remarkable transformation from a Jesus denier to a Jesus healer and speaker. And then the spotlight went on one of the first deacons, a man named Stephen, who gave his everything for Jesus. And then the spotlight went on the, another deacon named Philip, who had this amazing encounter with an Ethiopian man who was reading the Bible in his chariot. Through all of these major spotlights, there has been a minor character who has been kind of lurking in the trees or in the weeds in the side of the book of Acts. And this person's name is Saul. This man named Saul who has been in the sidelight was mentioned because when a mob stoned Stephen to death, Saul was there just kind of hanging out, nodding approvingly, what kind of person would do that, and holding everybody's jacket so that they might more freely uh, stone this man Stephen. Additionally, the Bible says that Saul became one of the first instigators of harassment and persecution against the early Christians. And now in Acts chapter 9 today, this guy, Saul, steps into the spotlight. In Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 9 Saul is going to be on a 150-mile journey from the city of Jerusalem north to the city of Damascus. There were no cars, there were no trains, there were no planes. The way to make a 150-mile journey 2,000 years ago was on a camel or a donkey, and Saul happened to be on a donkey. Here's what the Bible says happened. I invite you to follow along if you have a Bible app on your phone or if you're watching on live stream and have a Bible in front of you. Acts chapter 9. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city of Damascus, and you will be told what to do. This scene is remarkable for a number of reasons. Personally, I've never seen a 
blinding, flashing light from heaven, nor heard the audible voice of God rip apart the heavens and speak to me directly. It's amazing for that reason. It's also amazing because in the New Testament, this is the last time that Jesus appears post-resurrection in physical manifestation or form. It's really significant that this is the last time that Jesus shows up for people to see and hear, in this case, Saul. After Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, what he is eager to do, Jesus, is reveal himself to people like us. And that is what this scene, this encounter, this stepping into the spotlight for Saul is all about. It is really Jesus revealing himself. It's really surprising to me that when Saul asked the question, who are you, Lord? Jesus doesn't say, I'm Jesus, and why are you picking on my disciples? Jesus doesn't say, I'm Jesus, and why are you bothering all of these early Christians? Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Jesus is making a direct connection between his resurrected self and the early church. Jesus is saying, when you harass, when you deny, when you mock, when you persecute the church, you're doing all of those things to me. Saul's reaction to this moment is to be literally struck blind. I mean, Saul thought he saw reality. He thought he saw God clearly. He thought he knew God's will clearly. He thought he knew God's word, what we call the Old Testament scriptures or the Hebrew scriptures. He thought he had all that down. And in this moment, it becomes alarmingly clear to Saul that he doesn't see any of it clearly. And he goes blind on the spot. I mean, this is both a literal happening and a deep metaphorical happening. Maybe it was the blinding light that literally rendered Saul blind, but on a deeper level, it is Jesus letting Saul know everything that you thought is actually wrong, my man. Have you ever had a moment in life like that where you thought you were cruising along in a relationship and something happened and you're like, oh my goodness, I have been so blind. When I was a little kid, Loved playing baseball with my dad. We had a little tee set up in the backyard. As long as the ball was on the tee, I was pretty much good to go. Could whale that ball. However, as a little kid, I somehow got into the bad habit whenever my older brother or my dad would throw overhand fast pitch to me, I would close my eyes for some reason. I don't know if I was like subconsciously scared of the ball coming at me. And I would swing for fair with my eyes closed my batting average was not very good, right? Because I was blind to the rotation and the placement of the ball. And this was one of the nicest things my older brother ever did for me. At one point, maybe when I was four years old, he told me, dude, you're such a little fill in the blank with brotherly insult. You're supposed to keep your eyes open when you're trying to hit. And this was a revelatory experience for me. I opened my eyes and lo and behold, when the pitch came in, I could tell whether it was an actual baseball or wiffle ball, how the ball was spinning. I mean, if it was high or low or otherwise, and my batting average skyrocketed because my eyes were suddenly opened. 
Sometimes we have this experience at church. We come and we think that things are going a certain way at church or that we, we know what the elders are thinking or what the pastors are thinking, and maybe we disagree. And then sometimes it happens that we hear more deeply, oh, this is the heart, this is the why beneath we're doing what we're doing. It's almost like you have a little breath of relief and fresh air. Um, so it is no small thing. Uh, this week our elders are having a meeting and they're talking very, we as elders are talking very seriously about what life and worship is going to look like in the fall and beyond around here. And I would encourage you to pray for our elders tomorrow to give us open eyes and open ears so that we can see Jesus clearly. And then as a result of the work of our elders, just that we'd pray for the connection between our openness and your openness and seeing and hearing from the Lord that all of those things might be connected. Now Saul, in his blindness, proceeds to the city of Damascus. And in order to bring Saul to where he needs to be with Jesus, it takes not only one vision of Jesus, it actually takes a double vision. There's another disciple in the city of Damascus whose name is Ananias, who has a second vision. I'm going to start reading at Acts 9, verses 10. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, said God. Yes, Lord, Ananias answered. By the way, if you ever do hear the audible voice of God or sense the deep call of God, probably the wisest thing you could do is say, Yes, Lord, or here I am listening. This is what Ananias says. And then God tells him this. The Lord said, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is there praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So it's a little ironic. The ancient city of Damascus was laid out like a grid, like squares. The only street in that entire city that was not squared up is Straight Street. It ran on an angle and was kind of a windy road. I love that irony and cynicism existed in the ancient world as well. Uh, it is like this if you are trying to walk Jesus' way. I mean, my preference would be to walk a very straight street, right? To know what's ahead next year or five years from now, just keep walking in the same direction and plugging away and what could be simpler than that. But the way of Jesus, even though sometimes we call it the straight and narrow way, is in fact like straight street in Damascus. It is a windy and angled road that we need constant direction for. Ananias needs some direction in this moment. After hearing from God, Ananias, this great disciple, prayerfully puts up some protest to God. It's like, God, is this the same Saul who's harassing all the Christians? Like, do you really know about this guy? Did you know he's coming to Damascus to arrest people like me and throw us in jail? If you ever need to protest to God in prayer... 100% feel free. Some of God's favorite disciples do this. God takes these questions from Ananias and answers them. God says, Ananias, this is the guy. That is the guy. I've chosen him. And he is going to be my chosen instrument 
for taking the news about Jesus to all kinds of outsiders and different sort of people, and he is going to suffer so much. Ananias hears these directions from God, and probably even with a little resistance in his heart still, he makes his way through Damascus to Straight Street to Judas's house, and there inside he finds Saul, this blind man. The Bible continues, Then Ananias went to the house, he entered it, and laying his hands on Saul, he said, mark these words, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would love it if in the world, with the people we disagree with most, whose opinions scare us the most, who we do not quite trust yet, but whom God has directed us to be in community with, if we could call each other brother and sister, that would go a long way in healing some of our current stuff. Ananias amazingly gets over his fear, his grumpiness, his hurdles. He does what God asks, lays his hand on this guy, and calls him Brother Saul. And in that moment, two things happen. The Bible says that something like scales physically fall from Saul's eyes, and he is indeed filled up with the Holy Spirit. Can you feel the change? Can you feel the transformation brewing? How Saul's life from this moment on, because of the revelation of Jesus, and now because of the healing ministry of God that comes through one obedient servant named Ananias, everything is going to change, and it turns out not only for Saul of Tarsus, but we would not be sitting here today unless this moment happened. Some of us might be longing for some kind of change right now. Community change, maybe we are longing for this kind of deep personal change, for some kind of revelatory experience that could rip our way, our own blind spots, heal the own, our own scales on our eyes. If you don't know about this today, I would ask you this one question. If you could change one thing about yourself sitting here today, what would it be? What one thing, if you knew it could change, would you change about yourself right now? I'm guessing all of us have something. Um, as North Americans who have probably seen more than our fair share of internet ads and commercials, we have been coached to think about superficial things. I mean, my guess is that many of us would think like, I would like to have more hair. Or, I wish my hair were wavier. Or if you have super curly hair, I wish my hair were straighter. Why is that, by the way, that straight hair people want curly hair and curly hair people want straight hair? I don't know. We might say something like, I wish I were taller. I wish I were older. If you're an 18-year-old young man, you might be, I wish I could grow a beard already. If you're a 65-year-old man, you could be like, I wish I never had to shave again. Right? Like, we instinctively go for these superficial kind of things. But if it could push you to a deeper kind of level, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be?
There's a movie that's now really old from the early 90s called City Slickers. There's a few guys from New York City. They go out west uh, to kind of help out with some ranching. They're running some, a herd of cattle from southern Colorado into New Mexico. At one of the campfires late at night, one of the city slickers who's having trouble with his life sits down with this ancient cowboy. And this ancient cowboy says to the New Yorker, do you know, do you know what the secret to life is? And around the campfire, this old cowboy holds up his pointer finger. And the New Yorker says, the secret to life is your finger? No. The secret to life is one thing, just one thing. You stick to it, and then the rest don't matter so much. The New Yorker smiles and says, well, what's the one thing? The cowboy looks back at him over the flickering firelight and says, that's what you have to find out. <laughs> this is true on multiple levels. If you know what you're interested in, what you orient your life around, what you are pursuing, it's a good way to live. But on a deeper level, Saul of Tarsus had this experience in a way that his whole life became reoriented around one thing, one person, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, this is why I keep coming back to church every week, because I need help, weekly help, daily help, sometimes hourly help, reorienting my life around Jesus of Nazareth. This is the best, wisest, happiest, most joyful, most challenging, most fear-inducing, most thought-provoking, most inspiring way to live, to have your one thing not just be a thing, but be a person who is Jesus of Nazareth. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus got this in the moment, and it changed his days from then on out. Acts chapter 9 says this, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and then at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Everybody in Damascus heard of this, and they thought, how can this be? Isn't this this incredibly smart, driven, zealous person who came up to Damascus to arrest these disciples of whoever this Jesus is, and now he's talking that Jesus is the Son of God? Paul's message for the next year, five years, ten years, decades of his life did not stray from this one thing. Jesus is the Son of God. I'm here 2,000 years later. I don't have much more in addition to tell you, that, in addition to this, friends. Jesus is the Son of God. And whatever you're looking for, whatever you want to change about yourself, whatever transformation that you're longing for, if it's from God and is the right thing, it is bound up in the person who is Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified and risen Son of God. 
Saul of Tarsus' perspective totally got reoriented and changed because of this revelation of Jesus. Saul went from trying to put followers of Jesus in prison to experiencing the incredible freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. Saul went from being super defensive about the law of God. If you're, if you're disobeying the law of God, we need to throw you in jail. Saul went from that to being super offensive about Jesus being the Son of God. Paul went from being super protective about the law of Moses. Only good Jews follow the law of Moses. He went from that to being super generous or liberal, not in the political sense, in the generous sense, to being super generous about how everything opens up when your life is tied to Jesus' life. And all of this happened because he got reoriented by Jesus of Nazareth. His one thing got 100% rearranged. If you're sitting here today sweating, knowing that you need to be reoriented in a similar way, and you're wondering, okay, man, with a microphone, like, how do I do that? Is there something I can do? Because maybe I'm not going to see a blinding light and hear a voice come out of heaven. Probably not. You are correct about that. If you want to take a couple modest steps in this direction, I have two humble suggestions for you. You could go home, find a Bible, go to BibleGateway.com, type in Mark 1, and start reading about Jesus. The book of Mark is a short, direct, incredibly persuasive picture of who Jesus is and what he did on our behalf. If you're like, ah, I'm not a reader, I don't even have a Bible at home, I don't want my internet history to be sullied by going to BibleGateway.com, I would invite you to do something different. You can find on your phone, on YouTube, a show called The Chosen. And I would invite you to watch the first two or three or four episodes because just in the last couple of years, this got produced. The show is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he has done for each of us. And if you let that show enter your imagination and wonder if the Jesus who is portrayed on the screen might be anything like who he says and how he is pictured in there, that might just be enough to cause some reorientation in your life. This section of Acts chapter 9 ends with a really peaceful, hopeful, optimistic verse. It says this, Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. And then living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. When a group of people gets their minds set on the Lord, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy street or straight street. But it does mean from time to time there is going to be an outbreak of peace and togetherness and unity and purposefully marching forward in one direction. If that sounds too naive and la-la for you, don't worry. As we flip over the page into Acts chapter 10, there's going to be more growth, yes. There's going to be more trouble. There's going to be more painful change. There's going to be more awkwardness. There's going to be more stretching and challenges because that is what life in Jesus' church looks like. And Lord willing, this fall 
from here on out at Elmhurst CRC, that is what life in our community and church is going to look like. More growth? Yes. More trouble? Yes. Difficult conversations? Yes. Change and flexibility? Yes. Challenges? Yes. Opportunity? Yes. Unity? Yes. Amazing new things that have not happened before? Yes. Yes. Yes and amen, because the same Jesus who the early church reoriented themselves around is the same Jesus and the same spirit of the risen Jesus that we, by God's grace, are reorienting our life and our community around today. Amen? Anybody? All right, you can clap for God. Let's be clear, it's not for the dude with the microphone. <laughs> the God who produces visions and wonders and reorientation. He is the one. Let's pray together. Lord God, when things change, when we feel transformation and reorientation coming on, we get anxious and worried. However, our deeper desire, Lord, is for the radical reorientation that Saul of Tarsus experienced. Lord, keep our ears open. Keep our eyes open, because that's what we want for ourselves, for our kids, for our neighbors, for this city, for this globe. We want to see things revolving around Jesus. So insofar as we can today, God, with our breath and with our energy, we want to say, take us. Take us down your street, even if it isn't so straight and easy. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Hey, to help us lean into this prayer and commitment, I invite you to stand. We're going to sing together.